Hello and welcome to another episode of the Engineering Insights Podcast presented by Haystack Analytics. I'm your host, Junaid Ali. In today's episode of the podcast, um, I sat down and spent some time talking with Khan Yilmaz, who is a co-founder and the CTO of Haystack Analytics. We covered a number of really interesting areas which are relevant to software engineering teams, particularly in high growth companies. But the central theme which really ran through our discussion was really around measuring quality in software engineering teams. So whilst, you know, um, there's a lot of different areas of discussion here and I'll likely use some of the clips for other pieces of content, I thought it'd be really useful to have the entire conversation here as our discussion proved really fruitful and there's lots of um, really interesting areas we discussed. Enjoy. Hi, Khan. So um, I was wondering, just to kick things off, if you could tell me a bit about you and um, how you found yourself as a uh, co-founder of Haystack. Um, certainly. So I used to work at Cloudflare. Um, and at Cloudflare, we were a small team, a team of four people between 500 engineers. And we were able to deliver 10% of the company's revenue with only 1% of the engineering team. So how do we do this? To be able to do this, we actually moved really fast. The iteration cycle was extremely fast and we made sure that the customers were really happy. We built the correct thing at the correct time. Um, that allowed that learning or that experience allowed me to see how can we actually make engineering processes better because most teams are not effective. And I believe all teams can be effective. And that is what makes me more interested in um, this whole developer experience um, tooling and uh, all this, what do you call it, uh, all this sector. And in, in that sense, Haystack is a tool which helps developers to be more effective, the whole engineering organization to be more effective, delivering value to customers much, much more faster with a much, much more higher quality. And I want to make all teams to be able to be a super or an elite performer. Awesome. So I guess there's kind of two different dimensions you, you've measured there to what, or uh, you're talking about to, um, what we do at Haystack. You know, there's one angle which is really around, um, you know, driving up speed. And then I guess there's another angle which is about um, quality. How does Haystack really go about doing this? How do you um, drive these improvements to engineering efficiency and developer experience um, for our, our customers? What, what is it that we offer to help them do that? So developer efficiency is effectively, how can you understand if someone is getting better or, or some team is getting better or worse? Does the product um, iterate faster or slower? How can, how can you know this? There are, there's gut feeling, but unless you have concrete measurements, you will never have a iteration cycle. You will never be as fast as someone who actually tracks the correct metrics, improves those metrics, and make sure that the value delivered is much, much more um, higher than a non-metric uh, delivered team. Excellent. And um, I guess we can we can talk a little bit about some of these, these different metrics. So um, I guess there's one of the, um, in terms of the North Star metrics we use to really um, understand how an engineering team is performing, we've got, you know, um, what are often called the four key metrics, you know, the term coined 
by the Accelerate book. We've got um, cycle time, you know, change lead time. We've got um, we've also uh, got things like um, throughput, uh, uh, throughput, which we uh, measure against um, as well, which is which is kind of outside the scope of those four key metrics. But um, um, it is about volume. And then I think on the um, speed side as well, we've also got like the number of deployments, which are there there as well. Um, so those are kind of, I guess. Um, what we'd consider speed metrics. But complementing those, we've also got quality metrics. We've also got things like change failure rate. And we've got things like, um, you know, um, as part of the four key metrics, mean time to recovery. So those four key metrics, which, um, which you know, um, a term coined by um, in the Accelerate book by Nicole Fosgren, um, you know, Jess Humble, Gene Kim, cycle time, um, number of deployments, um, change failure rate, mean time to recovery. What what do those um, metrics really symbolize and help us measure? And um, how do they um, how do they integrate with one um, one another really? Um, so the way that I can describe this the best way is the best performing teams, they're both really fast and they are they have high quality of outputs. Um, the worst teams, they're slow and they have bad quality. Normally what we assume is, okay, um, if I'm going to make something quality, I need to um, compromise on speed. That is not the case. The best team can achieve both of them. Um, and these metrics are, they're lagging metrics on revenue. So if you actually have these four metrics in, a, um, in an optimal um, place, then you can assure that yourself your revenue will be higher. If you improve on these metrics, it will even go higher. That's it. Um, there's like a correlation there. And that's how we know we know how to use these metrics. There's, I believe, around 31,000, um, um, I would say 31,000 candidates or not candidates, but professionals has been um, researched to find these metrics. So this is not random. Someone made it up. These are all backed by correlation based on revenue of those companies. And the higher, you know, the better these metrics get, the higher your revenue will get. That's, that's how we can ensure that engineering um, is a successful team and you are getting better or worse. Um, if we have to go a bit more deeper, I actually want to go more into quality rather than speed. Um, because in quality, there's quite a few um, misunderstandings on what's, what's going on. I see a lot of people try to track number of bugs. They try to track um, uh, something like test coverage as high-level metric. So if te- I'm going to give an example. If test coverage is a high-level metric, it was, let's say, 80%. You increase it to 100%. Can you say that your revenue will be higher? Actually, I would disagree. I, I can even, most likely your revenue will be lower. You're way, spending way too much time on writing tests and not delivering value to customers. Um, the high level metric is really, really important there. And there is a big misunderstanding in the current um, ecosystem of engineers. Um, so I want to divide this into a bit more, define what actually quality means. Um, so if I have to, um, the definition of it is, it ensures a product or a service that bear on its ability to satisfy given needs. So if there is an expectation and it is not met, that means that is not quality. Coming back to test coverage, how does that affect any customer? Okay, there's like some correlation there, but what's the optimal number? Is it 60? Is it 40? Is it 100%? We don't know. And it depends on team. What should be the top level metrics? Change failure rate is one of the North Star metrics, which is mentioned in State of DevOps and Accelerate book. It is a really good metric. Um, If we define um, quality into two separate parts, I would put one quality as the product quality and the second as the engineering process quality. Change failure rate represents both of them. So how does it do this? Um, Imagine we did a release and this release caused an incident. We need to roll back now. Okay, the customers immediately felt that. There's an incident, there's downtime. That's obvious. There's product quality, change failure rate captures this in a really high manner. How does it um, capture engineering process quality? Let's say 
the same um, issue. You um, deployed a pull request, you did a uh, release, the release failed, um, you had downtime, you reverted back. But you didn't revert that pull request because you don't know which pull request actually causes that. There might be 500 pull requests inside that release. There might be five. You don't know. The current trunk um, branch is currently unusable. So the whole pipeline of engineering process is stalled. Nobody can deliver value now. And change failure rate actually captures this. Um, you can also have slight improvements on change failure rate, such as mean time to pull, um, mean time to recurry on um, the trunk um, branch itself. So that also provides you insights on the engineering process quality. But coming back to high level again, we said product quality and engineering process quality. Okay, this is great. Um, just to give a bit more information on change failure rate, um, according to um, State of DevOps, 0 to 15% is the number that a person should um, achieve. And this percentage number is number of hotfixes divided by number of deployments. And it can actually be higher than 100%, which is quite interesting. I have seen that uh, on quite a few teams. So um, our goal is to make sure that's between 0 to 15%. That's a good metric. Um, there's stability metrics such as mean time to recur, but I'm not going to go over there. I'm going to stay in this change failure rate. If you have 0 to 15%, you know this, your current, let's say, um, change failure rate is 22% you improved it in the next three months into 14%. That's great. You know you're getting better. You know that you are giving value to um, your customers regarding quality. But where do I focus? How can I make this number better? Where can, like, how can I dive deeper? I don't get that information from change failure rate. Um, the way that you can get this is actually a few leading metrics can represent this. What um, Leading metrics are... Um, Metrics that are not high level, they are correlated with improving one other metric, but they don't directly correlate to revenue. So in the example that I gave previously, which was test coverage, if your test coverage was 40% and you increased to 60%, then you saw that your change failure rate decreased from 20% um, to 15%. You know that, okay, test coverage was actually good, but then you can actually experiment. Let's make it 80%, 100%. Change failure rate might decrease, but you can actually see a compromise on speed this time. Um, your cycle time might actually triple. That's a really bad thing. So you need to make sure you're measuring quality and speed together and finding the optimal numbers that works for you. But test coverage is not a high-level metric. It is a leading metric on top of cycle time and change failure rate. Um, coming back to focusing on, how can I focus work um, how can I understand what is causing my app quality, my product quality, or my engineering process quality suffer? Actually, number of bugs is a really good metric. It's not including accelerate. There's a really good reason for it. Nobody tracks, almost nobody tracks it correctly. It's one of the hardest metrics to track. Imagine you're tracking number of bugs. Let's say you're tracking in GitHub. Okay, an engineer randomly goes, Okay, there is like a place nobody reads, no customer cares about, and there's a typo. They tag it as bug, they put it there. Okay, that's like basically almost no value, but it increases the number. And you don't actually know if that is a signal or a noise. That's not a good way to track. You can do the same thing on Jira. The product managers do this. Um, they test themselves, they create bugs, um, which are not used by customers because the customer doesn't even use that product. Not because of the quality, it's just the product doesn't give value. But that number of bug that you just labeled, it doesn't give signal uh, regarding how good you are with your application. Um, so we need to go one step um, further. How can we track number of bugs? First, let's go into the original definition of quality service that bears on its ability to satisfy given needs. So if the customer is trying to do some action and they cannot, then they file a bug report. Then you know that this customer did not get what they wanted. And that's a really high signal bug. And that's what we need to track. Bugs need to be tracked by customers, not by internal product managers or by um, engineers themselves. 
of course, there will be some issues like you didn't do a release yet and you know there is like a bug. Don't tag that as a bug. That's not something that you should track. That's inside that future request that you're actually building or the original um, issue that you're trying to solve. It's not an external coming bug. And that's not something that we want to measure. We want to measure only customer um, customer. Um, what do you call it, uh, progressed um, or submitted bugs. That gives a good signal. Okay, now we know which uh, bugs are signal, which bugs are not. But I still don't know how can I actually take action because a typo that a customer um, represented is a bug, but also a bug which a future doesn't work completely is also a bug. They're not equal. How, How can we understand this? So there is actually two dimensions that we need to make sure when we track bugs. One of them is priority. How important is this bug? One of them is maybe incident, downtime of a system. The other one's a typo. Typo's like, okay, who cares? But the incident is like really important. So labeling each bug as P1, P2, P3, and so on gives you ability to see what kind of bugs are being produced. The second thing is, Okay, even if there is P1, P2, P3, where the, which, how do I make sure that this doesn't happen in the future? You need to look into specific teams. Each team has different process. It's both engineering side, management side, and so on. They build different products as well. The second dimension is which team is responsible for that bug? So if there is a bug on front end, why would the backend get like um, any kind of punishment for that or any kind of um, results for that? It's not their KPI. It's the KPI of that specific team. Front-end team needs to make sure that their number of bugs should be low, not the backend team. Uh, the backend team needs to make sure of their uh, bugs, but not of front-end teams. But they're completely separate. Um, if we go into this, coming back to high level, tracking custom, uh, making sure that the bugs are submitted by the customers, and tracking with two other dimensions, which is priority of the uh, bug and the teams who are producing bug. Then suddenly you have some kind of metrics such as this. We have um, we have P1 bugs is 50, and it increased to 60 in the past quarter. What's happening? Now we dive deeper. We go into the teams. Okay, um, front-end team had the bug, and... Um, their bug count increased from 10 to 20 P1s, but the backend team has only two P1 bugs, for example. Uh, you know that the backend team doesn't need any actions, but the front-end team needs more resources. This might be technical debt. This might be um, test coverage. This might be some other problem. Like There are lots of different things that you can do to fix this, but you know where it is. And once you talk to engineers, you can immediately take action and see what's going on. Um, in high-level um, resource allocation, this number of bugs is an amazing metric to use. If I actually have to put in the spectrum of how much quality does change failure rate and number of bugs actually represent, I would say change failure rate represents only the last bits. It represents like product quality and engineering process quality in a really good manner, but it doesn't have the actionability and it doesn't do fine grain control such as number of bugs. Number of bugs encapsulates more of that spectrum. You can capture more places in the whole process, um, both engineering and product, but it's really hard to track. You need to have a system which works with support, product management and engineering, and you need to make sure that none bug is not tracked. So you need to have a uh, one-to-end um, bug tracking, um, what do you call it? A bug tracking system where each bug is tagged to at least one Jira ticket. That gives you a good understanding of what's going on. And now you can track what is your engineering teams or engineering organization's quality. Awesome. Yeah, th- that sounds sounds excellent. So I think that there's a few different things to to unpack there. I kind of want to um, drill more into, I guess, the uh, the number of bugs measurement. It's actually particularly interesting um, to me because um, um, when we were both at Cloudflare, like one of the things I, um, I, I ended up doing was running the uh, support operations team. So um, th- that area of metrics was something that was very, very relevant in um, my day to day. But I guess, I guess to summarise, um, 
when we look at kind of these North Star metrics, these um, these um, indicators, we have the evidence that these these four key metrics that they are linked to, um, you know, both, um, uh, um, you know, um, we know that the businesses are, um, which um, which do well against these metrics are twice as well to succeed in both their commercial goals and then on commercial goals, so that you know. Um, things like um, uh, you know um, customer satisfaction, um, you know um, um, the um, uh, you know market share, these types of metrics that they're likely to do well. I mean, one of the really remarkable metrics I, I heard from a uh, presentation that um, Nicole Fosgren gave um, was that um, the uh, when you correlate this data, um, the um, performance against these four key metrics to um, stock market data, you find that the companies which do well against those four key metrics are fifty uh, are fifty um, percent um, tend to have a fifty percent higher market cap, which is just absolutely remarkable. So, I guess coming back into um, measuring measuring quality, then so um, you know. One of the metrics you spoke about was change failure rate. Change failure rate is, you know, um, what we're talking about there is a number of deployments that needed some form of intervention, you know, whether it needed to be rollback, hotfix um, over the total number of deployments. So, you know, let's say um, one in every hundred uh, deployments needed to be um, rolled back. We would say the change failure rate there was 1%, right? Um Number of bugs. Um, number of bugs, I guess, is um, the metric we're talking about, which is when things go through a customer support ticketing system, when a user files something, we record them and we flag them that way. Um, and then finally, we've also got, you know, things like mean time to recovery, which is how long it actually takes to resolve a, a bug. Is that, um, is that a fair summary of the um, key quality metrics there? I would say it is a fair summary. Uh, one thing I want to add is tracking metrics is hard. You need to track it accurately. That's one of the hardest things in the whole, on whatever. It, it can be your product manager. You're tracking your um, daily active users. Even that is hard. If you're a marketer, um, you want to track the funnel. That's hard. The accuracy of the metrics is really hard. And it takes time to build this infrastructure. Um, one thing that I want to say is change failure rate. It's really simple to track. It's not that hard. You just need to tag a few either automated or manual um, pull request issues, um, Jira issues, or so on. But once we go into number of bugs, you actually need to build quite a bit infrastructure. You need to change the process of support team, change the process of in, um, product and engineering in the sense that they can make this actionable. It's a hard metric to track. That's why it's not being used widely across the ecosystem. No, no, like not nobody, but a lot of um, organizations are having troubles tracking number of bugs and the accuracy is quite low. That's why I would recommend starting if you're just starting right now. The first metric that you should track regarding quality is change failure rate. Once you're more mature, once you want to get more fine-grained control, you have a um, custom developer experience team. Okay, now I can actually um, implement new processes, make sure that my organization can capture more of the spectrum of the quality. And then we can actually track number of bugs. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I think um, from my own experience, I think that, that there tends to be a few different challenges that people come up against when they want to track number of bugs. So, you know, suppose a customer support team is there and you have people writing in and um, those people are basically able to um, write in and they're able to report bugs. The first thing is, I guess, you know, there is that many to one relationship that often exists between, you know, um, customers um, customers actually writing in about a specific issue and then addressing um you know and then linking them up to um specific support tickets a lot of people i think tend to struggle with um with building that that infrastructure and then there's also i guess the attribution component as well it's actually attributing um which team is responsible um responsible for for, for which type of type of bug and making sure there's appropriate systems to basically um basically handle that so um i guess um 
there's kind of um, those um, two key key kind of kind of um, issues there when you, when you're tracking tracking number of bugs. The other thing which really comes to mind as well for me is kind of the taxonomy of um, how you actually internally make sure those things are logged without overwhelming a support team, without putting them under you know um, lots of stress to put fine grained metrics, which then you know the more fine grained they are, the more inaccurate they become. So um, I, I was just wondering if you um, if you um, had any thoughts on how um, how um, you know companies can go about introducing this type of system in a fairly minimalist way to start with before scaling it up to something which is um, which is um, you know um, uh, when that that initial success has been demonstrated. What would you say are those first few kind of baby steps really? Um, like I said, the first step is actually not track number of bugs. The first step is tracking change failure rate. Change failure rate is highly correlated with um, revenue of the uh, organization or the whole, um, yeah, the whole organization. But if we go back to number of bugs, it will take time. The first step is support um, team. You need to ensure that every single um, support ticket is tagged with two dimensions, priority, uh, the priority or team. Once you actually make sure that the support team has a process and then you can actually move forward and take actions on top of it. Um, regarding this, I would actually, I, I wouldn't be um, immediately go and change the whole support process. There is a few things which are hard. Changing processes takes time. Um, you need to educate quite a few users. Um, so probably testing on small sections might be a better step just to see how it works. Um, small sections might be, for example, your support teams already probably have systems such as this bug is related to feature N. It might be, for example, um, your sign-up flow. It, the bug is related with sign-up flow and you can, there's already some tags for it. I assume there's already some tags that you can be based on. You can track that sign-up flow and add something on top of it. Then you can link that to a Jira ticket. Okay, we tag the sign-up flow into a Jira ticket. It's all, every, every Jira ticket, um, every support ticket that is linked. Then we can slowly add more features such as priority because the support team might not know the priority if it's P1 and P4. You need to discuss what's the taxonomy, what's the process that needs to have an internal conversation um, on how do we actually make sure that which bug fits into which priority. Again, which bug fits into which team? You need some infrastructure to build this. It doesn't come immediately. Um, to be able to do that, I would suggest first link every single support ticket with a Jira ticket and make sure that it's at least tagged to at a future um, if it's not a team. Once you have those two information, you can take a bit more um, time. You can see that it will be inaccurate because there'll be lots of low priority bugs that you don't care. Maybe there's like 80 bugs, which are P4 that in your definition, um, but there's one P1. Does that mean your quality is really bad? No, that means you're efficient. You're ignoring the low impact um, task and you're focused on the high impact ones. That's actually really good. But if you don't track the priority, you have 81. What do you do? That's the problem. Um, number of bugs is quite hard to track. You need to go step by step, um, then see if it's working. Can we actually improve this process? Do people get it? And slowly increase this process so that it encapsulates all of it. After it encapsulates customers, priority, and team, then you can actually use it as a North Star metric. But before that, I would not recommend it using it as a North Star metric. It, it would mislead you. It won't represent the real quality of your business. Um, use change failure rate much, much more better in that sense. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess in terms of, you know, that priority dimension, I mean, that ultimately, um, it ultimately consists of a few different variables, right? It's not just, um, you know, uh, priority can be a, a, a different things to different people for, um, for a customer success team. It could mean, you know, being able to retain 
big enterprise customers for a support team it could mean actually you know how do we decrease our costs so you know the business can spend more money actually marketing itself rather than having to spend all this money with a support team um doing manual actions it it, it could mean um i guess a lot of different things to to a lot of different people so i guess you know um finding out how you you measure that priority dimension in itself is like a um a can of worms almost exactly actually if i have to put like more bot like what are the pitfalls that you will see like you said one of the pitfalls how do i categorize priority that's such a hard task the second thing is how do i uh, make sure that it uh, the bug is going to the correct team of course you can fix it later once the team gets to the product manager this is not my team this is someone else's team the support team might not have the correct information to correctly tag it there will be a lot of conversations priority is one of the biggest ones um, there is also another one that will be a big bottleneck, which is in Eliyahu Goldratt's The Gold Book. He mentions that a team should end-to-end own a single metric. Number of bugs, it slightly goes different in that sense. The tracking is not done by you. The tracking is done by a different team. It's the support team. But the measurement is actually impactful for the engineering team. And suddenly there is this wait a minute, this shouldn't be tagged as bug. It should be tagged as... There's, there's going to be some conversation going on there. There's going to be some, okay, how do we use this metric in an effective way? Um, you need to teach all engineers and um, there's there will be conversations which will take time for the organization to understand what works for yourself. And these are a few bottlenecks of tracking number of bugs. That's why it's not used commonly. Only a few teams can actually successfully do this in a, um, in a correct manner. Um, and passing these bottlenecks or passing, passing these pitfalls, that's a better way to put it. Passing these pitfalls takes time and you need to, be, you need to invest quite a bit of energy into it. You need to be ready to invest in that. But once you do get it, you have a really actionable quality metric, and now you can put your resources much, much more better. You can know if you need to fix technical debt or not. And all these small questions, you will have an answer for most of them just by measuring number of bugs accurately. Awesome. So I think, um, you know, um, I guess I'd really want to dr- drill in into also some of the um, the leading indicators. But before we we um, you know um, get into that area, I think one of the things which um, which I find fascinating, something I probably haven't um, spoken actually about before, is um, really one of the things I've noticed when I was in the uh, support operations world is this concept of um, a cycle is also really relevant there. I mean. Um, Actually, um, one of the things I looked at is one of the um, the strongest correlations. Um, you know, basically, I, I saw that customer satisfaction was basically inversely correlated to um, median full resolution time. So, the the um, the shorter the time it would take to resolve a customer issue, the higher the satisfaction would be. And you know, there are limiting factors to this, you know, some issues where they are resolved, you know, very, very quickly, you know, there are other things which take part, but you know, especially when you're looking at things where the customer ends up spending a significant time time waiting that's the um the indicator tends to be that um you know um that um median um full resolution time and i guess that ties in with a lot of concepts we see in the engineering world as well we see you know the importance of cycle time being able to iterate quickly we also see things like you know um mttr mean time to recovery and of course you know change failure rate itself is very much about um you know um the number of um uh, um you know um rollbacks or number of hot fixes over the total number of deployments so um i think one of the things which comes very um important in into a lot of companies which are doing agile you know software development or trying to adopt you know lean practices you mentioned the goal seems to be this this importance on really getting that batch size down being able to adopt the processes whereby they're able to iterate very very quickly and a key part of that seems to be you know decreasing the the individual cycle of um of a piece of work they're doing yeah um so yeah um i i definitely agree with that um, on, I, I would like to, um, I would like to just uh, mention that these Northstar metrics, 
they're not random. They have they actually encapsulate all a lot of different parameters inside a single metric. Just like revenue, revenue captures value to customer in a lot of different ways. It's from all the way to marketing to growth to sales to engineering. Everything is included inside a single metric, revenue. The same thing is happening in cycle time. Just like you said, mean time to resolution for support is such a great metric for customer satisfaction. Cycle time represents the same thing included inside of this metric. Uh, it includes mean time to resolution. If you can actually deliver value faster, you can deliver these bugs, bug fixes really fast or future requests really fast to the customers. Their satisfaction will be better. And all of these metrics that I mentioned uh, or we mentioned together, which is cycle time, deployment frequency, change failure rate, mean time to recovery, number of bugs, again, goes um, ties with um, change failure. Rate. All of them encapsulates so many different parameters that's why it's a good metric, and that's why it corresponds to or correlates to the organization's revenue um, in a really good manner. Definitely, for sure. And I think kind of the next area I really wanted to to dive into um, in this is that you know there are often metrics that engineering teams look at. You know what we'd call leading indicators, things like test coverage, build failures, um, build times, etc which often, um, I guess, um, they, they can be double-edged swords, right? They can be things which are very useful when you're drilling into why North Star metrics aren't looking right, but also they can be, if you obsessively focus on local optimization here, they can be things which are which are um, dangerous as well. So um, what's your usual approach to looking at leading indicators in engineering teams? How do you kind of go, go about um, um, recommending that engineering leaders kind of take a look at those, those metrics? I would put metrics into metrics are a signal for you to be able to take action. So what, what you do is, okay, my cycle time is, let's say, five days and my change failure rate is, let's say, 40 percent. What you do is, okay, let's make sure that the change failure rate decreases all the way to 15%. And I have a goal of decreasing my cycle time to three days. Okay, if you have this goal, what do I do now? You start to brainstorm. You look into whole, the whole development process. You realize that, oh, we have like a QA team, um, and, but they're taking so much time. So if I remove the create team, I will be I will ensure that cycle time will go to three days. But what will happen to change failure rate? Will it actually be worse or better? Okay, let's see. We did that. We removed QA from that. Then we need to take another action to make sure the quality actually matches that. We add more review processes. Um, we experiment with test coverage. We experiment with other leading metrics, which might impact to my goal, which is we will have less rollbacks or hot fixes during this period of time. You identify the problem first, you have a goal for it, you dive deep, figure out which parts can actually affect. You'll probably figure out more than 10 leading metrics which will actually affect that metric, um, that high level metric, that North Star metric. Then you go and try to fix each metric. You don't even have to do one by one. One by one is more scientifically um, correct methodology, but we're startups, we're all businesses, we're competing. We can actually do multiple at the same time, some of them might fail, some of them might be positive, but you will know in the end result if you're good or bad because your North Star metric is your benchmark and you're uh, measuring yourself against yourself. So um, the important part is be fast, iterate as fast as possible, and the leading metrics will change every time you try to do it. The first time you might need to focus on build times for um, cycle time. The second time you might need to get rid of a complete team the third time you might need to do something else. So you slowly go down, you figure out what the North Star metric you want to improve. Uh, actually, I would say both North Star, speed and quality needs to go together. You select a goal with both of them included in your OKRs or quarterly goals and so on. It doesn't, it's not one, you need to include both of them. Once you have a speed and a quality goal, you dive into what met, what, where, where can the problem be? Is the problem the QA team? Is the problem um, the review process? Is the problem not enough tooling? Is the problem CI? You just figure it out. You go talk to engineers, um, which ones 
they seem to have issues with um, you track if you can track. Some of them cannot be tracked. Some of them can. Um, you go ahead and then try to figure out where the problem is. If it can be tracked, that's great. You can immediately say the build time is six hours. Let's decrease this to 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes. That's a really great goal. Okay, there will be like a huge team working on it, but the cycle time will improve drastically. It will take a long time maybe, but it will improve. Um, so you will identify the problem and iterate one by one. Um, if there is a bottleneck regarding these um, different leading metrics, I would recommend focusing on the bottleneck. So it's better to actually measure all of them consistently. So all leading metrics have some benchmark. Some stuff cannot be measured. Um, for example, development environment. How long does it take for a single engineer to onboard to your system? Does it take three weeks because the environment is so complex? Or does it actually take less than a day? That's a thing that is not possible to measure um, with the current tooling that we have. But you can still do measurements based on surveys or MPSs. Um, all big companies do MPS surveys um, to their engineers to see the quantitative, the um, qualitative part of engineering process and have a benchmark. Then they focus on the biggest ones. Solve the biggest one during iteration. Solve the biggest one during iteration. You just continue this flow multiple times. I can ensure that you will have a better North Star metric um, if you iterate um, a few times um, on your goals, um, based on your goals. Awesome. So I guess there's, you know, in that process of continuous improvement, there's really a few different steps there, right? You have to be able to, in the first instance, you have to be able to measure the North Stars, then you're able to drill into these leading indicators. And as you men uh, mentioned, there's kind of both qualitative, um, you know, sources of data as well as quantitative. So, you know, the quantitative things are nice. We can measure them. We can get a really good insight. But then also on the qualitative side, you actually have to go and talk to people. You have to be able to um, discuss with them as to where things are. You can also use things like NPS surveys, things like this. Um, so I was wondering if we could talk about, you know, some of the trends which you tend to see with the, the leading indicators as to, you know, um, you know, we know, for example, with with test um, coverage and um, potentially with build failures, that you know these things are, you know, low test coverage tends to be bad. You know, build coverage tends to be, um, you know, we we generally want to get or build um, failures. We generally want to get down. Um, we want to, you know, cut build times. We want to have good dev environments. We have want to have good linting systems. We have, want to have um, good code quality but obviously there's always a balancing act with these various different factors and some of these things tend to be issues that companies tend to see more often than others so i was wondering if you could give us a feel as to what the um what the problems generally tend to be um regarding um leading metrics usually people have an assumption but they think that's the truth um, and mostly they think this because they read like from a blog post or from some podcast that they listened, this number needs to be X. That's not necessarily true. Maybe you don't even need to measure that. It com completely differs based on what your team is. Um, for example, if you're an IRS team in App Apple Store, you can only do a release. The fastest that you can do a release is one week. Your cycle time can never be, at least for the release cycle, the deployment frequency, can never be more than a week, uh, less than a week. You need to satisfy that. What does this bring? This brings that your quality needs to be maybe much, much more higher um, so that you never have to do a rollback because it's so expensive to do a rollback. Um, App Store has all these processes which blocks you to be fast. But if you're a web developer, you can do like every second. That's totally possible. Um, so it depends on what team you're working on, what technology you're working on, who are you serving. A kernel engineering team is not the same as a front-end engineering team. If you're building space rockets, that's not the same as building apps. Um, so it all depends on what your team needs. Some teams will need really high quality. Some teams will need really high speed, and they can actually sacrifice from quality um, for other uh, reasons. So coming back to leading metrics. Okay, um, once we have this baseline of my team has a goal, which is we need to make sure the quality is really high because we're on, um, we do IRS apps. How can I focus on where to go? What are the bottlenecks on measuring it? 
if you go and try to measure, for example, build times is a um, failed build is a really good example. A lot of teams try to measure the total number of build fails, how long has it been failed, but they track it for all branches. If um, if I'm an engineer, I'm writing a code. I have this branch. I did a git push. It failed because I for the test didn't pass. Oh, I see. I see that it didn't pass. I fixed the test, push it again. Okay, it passed now. Now I can merge. There was a failure in build there, but why should I track that? That doesn't provide any value to customers. But once you go into trunk branch, if the trunk branch is not building, good luck. The pipeline is completely blocked. Now no no engineer can do a release. And if an engineer tries to start on a new um, task, they will try to get pulled. It doesn't work. And they're confused. They spend so much time on it. You need to track the correct leading metrics. Some of them are common sense. Uh, some of them, they're like straightforward. Um, it's just obvious. Um, it depends on what you track. I need to go into one by one, all of them. Um, so it's quite a big list. Like it's hundreds i'll put it that way there's so many things that we can improve upon but eventually what it boils down to is you have assumptions you start tracking with three leading metrics you focus on the bottleneck you fix that then you look at the other two i can focus on these but my gut feeling doesn't say they're correct let me track more leading metrics then you talk to engineers you talk to other people in the organization figure out where they actually have issues okay they have issues with five other things that came up in those conversations. You tra- start tracking them. You have a benchmark. Okay, now the bottleneck is between these eight new leading metrics. It's a different one. You start fixing that one, then iterate again. Then you need more leading metrics. You increase the uh, flow. It's a process like these. The further you go along the company, the number of leading metrics will increase. Some, you will fix it. They will never become a problem again. Some of them, you fix it. Two years later, you see it. It's, again, a bottleneck. You'll need to fix it again. It all depends, but slowly start by your gut feeling will basically allow you to track the correct metrics. Then you can figure out which ones are the bottleneck. Then you'll slowly increase this list, and eventually you won't need to have gut feeling because everything is tracked. You have benchmarks on everything, and now you know where to focus on with quite high confidence, and that's where we want to be in. We want to avoid gut feeling and we want to move that into database confidence. And this is the methodology that I would recommend. Awesome. And I think one of the really key concepts you mentioned there towards the start is um, really about this um, idea of balancing risk and reward in many ways. You know, the the idea that, you know, if you if you're able to deploy very quickly, if you're able to restore things, and there's very limited risk to things going wrong, you know, I, I guess the example is, you know, if you're watching a just watch a Netflix movie and the uh, rating system at the end goes down for two minutes, like that's le- that's far less of a problem than you know um, if you you know deploying an app which is broken, which can take many cycles, or something which is far far more mission critical. And I think you know one of the things. Um, that I guess we tend to see is that there's often, you know, um, um, some organizations get trapped into this area of vexatious quality where they will focus too heavily on one particular element. So, for instance, you know, you may have um, company, you know, in, in a company, they'll focus on potentially, you know, um, limiting the change failure rate as much as they can um, to get to, to zero percent. But they do that at the cost of then not being able to deploy quickly enough, not being able to restore things in the future because they have then, you know, everything is an end to end test. Everything will take um, a lot of time to be able to build and deploy, which ultimately harms them by um, affecting those metrics. So it seems like there's quite a um, a heavy balancing act at play and you really need to understand where your priorities are in order to drive that ultimate goal of driving up your your cost you, you know your revenue whilst also you know um in certain environments you know complying with your regulatory your ethical risks and so on as to how how high your risk is so it seems really really fundamental to the engineering process that balance between risk and reward um absolutely um it is this is actually going into more of a um, subjective concept because there is no objective truth. There is no process which works for all. Even if you're on like, 
even if you're comparing like 10 different organizations and there's like 200 teams in each one of them, they're all in finance sector. Still, you cannot have a playbook which would work for all. You need to figure out what is your company's needs, what's your priorities, what's your mission, um, what's your values that you care about. You figure out based on these. They might eventually change. In the beginning of the, of the company, when you're a startup, you don't care about um, too much about quality. You want to figure out what your product market fit is. You want to optimize cycle time as much as possible. You want to optimize deployment frequency. Whereas once you actually hit product market fit, now you have something to lose. Now you have customers. Now they're paying. And if you don't satisfy them, um, things won't go well. So depending on which sector you are, which type of company, which um, how... Um, how long have you been alive? Do you have product market fit or not? Um, all of these are different um, parameters which will affect you. And you will need to make that decision yourself. There is no playbook which will allow anybody. The only playbook that I can say is the North Star Metrics allows your engineering organization to be much more effective. You, you will need to figure out what the numbers will be for your organization. You'll iterate them, improve upon them. Your values might be updated, um, such as from a non-product market fit company into a product market fit. You will change these metrics goals, but that is depending on each company. There is no playbook. You need to figure it out. You need to do a lot of discussions with your team, understand what you want to serve to your customers as a value. Uh, coming back to um, the measurement of quality, the definition of quality, a service that bears its ability to satisfy the customer's needs. So it base it boils down to there. You need to make sure that your company um, gives value to your customers and what works for you, you need to figure that out yourself. Awesome. And um, I guess, you know, um, one of the last things I really wanted to, to ask about is um, this whole question of um, engineer well-being themselves. You know, um, if an engineer constantly has to be, you know, worry about things going down at 2 a.m. in the morning when, you know, there wasn't a deployment, if they have to worry about, you know, uh, issues occurring if they have to um, this also ties in with things like their development environment if it takes um, a week for them to um, get set up with a development environment if they can't just spin it down and spin it back up um, you know um, th and and that that is what stresses them out that's what you know keeps them up um, you know that keeps them in the office late at night or um, you know distracts them from now we're in this all of this uh whole work from home environment you know it, it stops them being able to go um go and relax um in the in the afternoon these things are also challenges to i guess individual well-being they're also ultimately affect the business right they ultimately roll up those north star metrics you know things like staff retention things like that so, so i'm just curious as to what you feel the role of um of um quality is in in ensuring you know engineer well-being ensuring developer satisfaction these types of things um i believe there was um i'm trying to remember the name of it um uh, but it was a report on um why do engineers leave their company what what gives engin uh, engineers satisfaction um and there are quite a few lists. Um, I forgot the whole list, um, the top level ones as well, um, but it basically boils down into if you are a fast moving company, if you are delivering value to your customers, that gives quite a bit of um, satisfaction to the engineers themselves. But you need to make sure that you communicate all of these. You need to make sure that they are learning, they're improving, there are more opportunities. Um, you, I, I would put, a successful company usually has um, not sucks, but satisfied engineers. It's correlated. It, it's really interesting, but it's um, if you people would assume like in the premise where you just like whip people and then they work hard and then you build a pyramid and like that's success. Ba making people suffer, making your employees suffer or engineers suffer, and you can actually build a product on top of which is grand. That's not the case actually. The case is if the engineers are happy, if they're satisfied with their life, if they're learning a lot, if, they're uh, if they have challenges in their lives, if there isn't lots of politics discussions so they can focus on their work, all of these actually affect 
your company's success. Um, there are different kind of measurements to do these. Um, um, I would say a few measurements are like most of these are qualitative me measurements. So they're not quantitative. You can't actually have a single metric or tool represented. Um, the quality metrics, again, it boils down into either one-on-ones. You can have um, lots of one-on-ones um, have lots of quality metrics inside of it. Um, some of them have it, not all of them. Um, you can do surveys to engineers period periodically so that you can measure their satisfaction. If you ask an engineer, would you recommend this company to some um, to your friend? If they say no, you know that they will eventually churn. Like they won't even recommend their friends. If you're working in an amazing company, you want all your friends to come here and you'll have such a great time. You want to share that experience with your friends. Um, that's like how I would think regarding I, I can go down and boil where the bottlenecks are. Um, I will have assumptions. Okay, these are the top level, um, uh, what do you call list. Um, it? You can find these lists um, in... I believe it was State of Engineering 2020. I'm not sure if that's correct, um, but there's like a, quite a big list. Um, I think it's like 10 to 15 different um, questions. You can ask these questions to your engineers. Then you can actually do other questioning or um, questions such as how, how, how like like, is it easy to do a deployment? Is it easy to do? Um, a spin up a development environment? Do you actually are satisfied? These are all different kinds of questions. One of them is affecting like the engineering process that we talk, which is like um, North Star metrics that we talk, the four um, accelerate metrics or four key metrics. Um, the other one is completely health, engineering health. But both of them actually affect into the engineer's uh, engineering satisfaction. And I, that, that's how I will put it. Make sure that your engineers are satisfied they will produce better, and the satisfaction is learning. They're being challenged. They are being listened inside their organization. Um, they're not ignored, so they feel included within that organization, and they want to make this place a better place. That's what we want to achieve for. Once you hit that, all the other metrics actually boil down there. Uh, it's not the pyramids. It's a happy environment, which will produce a, happy, a really good and successful product. Awesome. And I think that's that's a good place for us to to wrap things up. Um, and I know it's uh, getting late over there in Singapore, so I don't want to keep you uh, keep you away from um, for, from um, uh, being able to relax at the end of the uh, end of your day. I don't think that would be good for employee well-being. But um, there we are. Um, so um, to wrap things up, I guess, where is a um, um, where's a good place for people to find any additional resources or to um, maybe interact with you if people are running an engineering team and they can they can really benefit from using Haystack? Um, so I can recommend um, if you haven't read The Goal by Eliyahu Goldratt, read it. Secondly, if you haven't read Accelerate um, book, Go ahead and read that. Understand why these metrics are important and how to track them, what are the correlations, and so on. All the research um, is included in the Accelerate book. State of DevOps is a um, is a sequel of Accelerate. You can think it like that. It has every year they do the same metrics over the population to see where the trends are going. You can check that out. It's quite interesting. So that go boils down into the Accelerate books. Uh, that boils down into um, external. Um, there's also um, Haystack um, blog post, which we constantly write about these. Um, feel free to check them out. Um, they're really good um, podcasts that Junaid has done. I would definitely recommend other podcasts of um, Junaid's. And on top of it, I would also recommend checking. I think it's, it was State of Engineering. I will, I'm not sure about the naming. Uh, we can put a link, I believe, um, in this podcast so people can uh, will be able to find it in a much, much more better sense. And if you have any questions, feel free to email at con at usehaystack.io. That is K-A-N at usehaystack.io. So feel free to email me. I'll be happy to help you out. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me here, Anjanate. This was a wonderful conversation.
Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Engineering Insights Podcast. This podcast has been recorded and produced in Edinburgh, Scotland. I've been joined remotely by Khan Yilmaz, who's in Singapore. The soundtrack used in this podcast has been Work by Kevin McLeod. That's spelt W-E-R-Q. Find more details of how Haystack can help your engineering team at usehaystack.io.